to another episode of Money for Nothing. I'm Saxon Baird with a Sam Backer as always. And today on Money for Nothing, we are talking Fugazi. In the true spirit, in the true spirit of DIY, I just want to uh, give our listeners um, a sense into what I'm looking oh, at please. right now, which is Saxon is at his grandma's house and is hiding under a patchwork quilt to try to like reduce echo. And like, this is an example of money for nothing also being a honor organized DIY production. Yeah, I've thought about um, that. We Gaffer tape and the truth, baby. Yeah, I think we're actually very much um, uh, children of Fugazi. No, so um, I also feel like- We'd sell out though. Yeah, we <laughs> would, Atlantic in an Records, instant I'd sell out. If, yeah, yeah. If Atlantic Records gave me, offered me $10 million. As pan- I'm sorry, Panopoly, Ian, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. I would take it. Yeah, so before we dive into Fugazi, you know, like I'll just say that we have like a good amount of bonus material for this. Like I have an interview I did with poet Morgan Parker about Fugazi and, you know, what the band means to her. And, you know, we'll also be dropping another bonus interview with Fugazi documentarian and filmmaker and friend of the band, Jem Cohen. And we'll also be doing a lot more of these kinds of shows on different bands and possibly labels, looking into the past at unique cases and seeing you know, what these artists did to see if there's anything that we can kind of take into the future. But for today, it will just be Sam and I thinking on Fugazi. And I think a good place to start is just detailing some of the things that were foundational in how Fugazi was run as a band. Well, I don't know, Sam. I feel like uh, Fugazi is a band that is either considered just like an, another indie rock band with like political edge or something much more than just the music, but like arguably, you know, a way of life or an example of how to run your band. Um, and like, I feel like they're sometimes described and talk about and talked about as sort of these like low-key revolutionary types for the way that the band really controlled nearly every aspect of their existence from setting the price of their shows to like being on an independent label that was owned and ran by co-founder of the band Ian McKay, their artwork, publicity, like pretty much everything. And I think that this is the area that we kind of find most interesting, you know, not necessarily the music, although, you know, you and I probably have like a book worth of text messages uh, about not that. a good book but a book. not a good book but a book yeah um but uh but rather like i think our interest kind of lies at least for this program um about how the band really ran their own music and created a self-sustaining kind of economy in an in and amongst the record industry yeah i think i think that's right so i mean like it, i think that that like you said like in addition to being a very influential in a kind of small pocket of rock music world, yeah. Fugazi are still held up as being kind of the gold standard of not just like authenticity, but of this kind of, um, not just of like purity, but of this kind of like um, well-organized, well-executed, like this is how you can have a career on your own terms within the music industry. And I think that we, I mean, we originally started talking about doing a Fugazi episode a while back uh, before the 2020 election to try to talk about bands that are political and thinking about different ways of approaching politics and the politics of the music industry. And as we continue talking about it, I think we got increasingly interested in like really diving down into to how they approached music as a career but that's that was not their intention and 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 ian is very explicit that he thinks that's not the way to think about this stuff but but the way they they approached like the political economy of their music and to try to like talk about it some then also to try to, to figure out like how it applies to the present day that that a tremendous amount within the music industry has shifted since they moved something like 500,000 copies of In on the Kill Taker um, in 1993 and trying to figure out like, is this a model? What does this model have? What what was this model? And what does this model have to say to us today? 
Yeah, and when we talk about like ideas of in, being an independent artist or what we think of when we think of artistic freedom, you know, these were central issues in which Fugazi was constantly thinking upon and, and trying to think. And foregrounding. And foregrounding, in, yeah. In, in the way they approach their career. So maybe we can start like with the, the reason it's foregrounded in many ways, like the, the central tenets of the Fugazi legacy are $5 shows that they played shows and they only charged $5 and they would do pretty much anything they could. And it changed where they could play and who they could play for. Um, but they charged $5 for their shows, $10 albums, no t-shirts, no merch are the, no, so merch. Yeah, no patches are or the, like anything else other than like the music itself. Yeah. And so like, those are the three, like, and, and, and it, that those are kind of uh, examples of, of a broader and more complicated way that they approach their careers. But I think that like, when we're saying like why Fugazi is an important example, it's like those three things stand in for, are probably the most famous things about the band more than their music even. Maybe it might be helpful to start in just like detailing a little bit of why Fugazi chose to like only have five dollar shows and like no merch like where does that come out of and that kind of like give like you know the listeners like a little bit of a of a a background about like the sort of ideology behind that because it must seem like pretty absurd Uh, you know i'm assuming like most of our listeners are like pretty aware of fugazi but you know let's assume like someone doesn't really know about the about them it'd be pretty strange to be here like a band doesn't sell any merch (laughs) and like also pretty cool that a band is only charging five bucks you know I think it's important important to note though that like when they started, five bucks is around. I mean, we can do the actual. I think like ten, ten or something like that, right? No, it's more than that. No. I think it's every twenty years, okay. basically, money doubles. So it'd be like five dollars now is ten dollars in two thousand. So like in eighty eight, probably there's a little bit more inflation there. So I'd say a little bit north of fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So like again, like it doesn't mean that's not a cheap show. A fifteen dollars show is like totally legit now, but like five dollars is utterly unworkable in today. Today, in tw- right? In, in, sure, sure. Today, today, yeah, five dollars would be point, entirely right. unworkable. But fifteen dollars is like you could imagine. I've seen shows for fifteen dollars. That's like doable. And so similarly, a ten dollar record is like a twenty dollar vinyl, right. which again is like not that. Out, it's not crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like standard. I feel like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's fair standard, yeah. Which I feel like as the more we get into this, the more we get into this, I feel like the more we will reveal that Fugazi seemed, that that seemed to be very much a part of their ethos was fair. <laughs> What's fair? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. So, 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 so taking a step back, to, to understand Fugazi, you need to understand a little bit about Ian McKay and about his role in the DC punk scene. Right. Um, because Fugazi is not a hardcore punk band by any stretch of the imagination the the like they are the american version of post-punk the the an ex uh, a description i've heard of them is like um mc5 plus reggae uh which is a kind of funny description yeah. K- kind of accurate they're really their own thing and, and very impressive they're really like their own thing but they very much come out of like a definitive one of the definitive if not the first hardcore punk scenes right so Ian is the bass player in a short-lived band called teen idols um that was kind of like big in the scene a scene of high schoolers um and they were like one of the top high school bands into just after high school i think um maybe not even i think they had like one tour I think, I think maybe on the West Coast or something, yeah. Yeah, they, they may play, but, but but really, really, really very early on, and they are breaking Yeah, up, this is like early 80s. And they, de- yeah, early, early 80s, if not yeah. late 70s. And they right. are breaking up, and they decide that they want to take, I guess, whatever band funds they want. They want to release the record, and there are no record labels, so they're like, well, we'll start our own record label, and they started Discord Records which is the label that all of Fugazi's released on, and that was apps, pretty much all of the DC punk is released on Discord Records. Right. So the co-owner, Ian's a 50% co-owner of that label, they famously don't sign contracts with their bands, uh, but have a uh, incredibly fair agreement. It's like the band gets 50% of all income. The rest is split between like cover and costs, and the label gets like 20 or 25%. It's like, it's compared to like what the label does, it's, it's insanely... Um, general um, fair really again is that word again so right after 
Teen Idols breaks up, there's a little pause, and then Ian is in the singer of the definitive hardcore band, Minor Threat, which really, again, is like a gold standard band for like what hardcore sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Musically inventive, incredibly tight, incredibly short, screamed lyrics, uh, Vertently slash inadvertently in like a very like uh, another thing that 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 defines his entire career is Ian make these really bold statements and is like I didn't want to start a movement man but like I sure sang a lot of slogans so he starts Straight Edge, um, with his song Straight Edge which is about not wanting to drink or take drugs or have sex which I never understood the inclusion of the third one in those other two, <laughs> like 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 sure don't drink I'm anyway so. <laughs> they are a big they're a serious band yeah and and the in the like the 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 sort of still very nascent but growing i'd say american underground american underground punk yeah scenes. and they're they're inspirational for for bands all over the country and they're already famous oh, for millions for doing it <laughs> for doing it right so right by the time fugazi starts right ian is a star in u.s underground music He's playing with other stalwarts of the DC scene. He's running a an important indie label. And an important indie label that's really based around and his ethos and the ethos of the band more generally. And it's not just him. It's Guy, uh, who's the other guitar player singer. Um, it's the band as a whole. Really shaped by their experiences as like teenagers and, and early 20s kids who are made this thriving underground economy where basically, basically in interviews, Ian's like, there are no bands from DC in the 70s because there wasn't a scene. And we built a scene and we realized that the important thing was to build a scene and to do anything you could to keep that scene going and to, to build the, the, um, the spaces and the networks of that scene. And that was what their goal was and that was one thing they learned and the other thing they learned came out of their experiences with hardcore so hardcore starts off as this fairly inventive music and really quickly becomes fairly like broed out fairly repetitive fairly violent in a lot of these places and they they all had this experience basically of this music that they started this scene that they started getting starting to become unrecognizable to them and so they realized two things, I think, coming out of these early experiences that really define Fugazi as a band. One is that you can build a scene, and two, that in order to build the scene that you want to be part of, you need to take active stands to structure the scene to make it look the way you want it to look. Because otherwise there will be it. like skinheads <laughs> fighting in the audience. And if you don't want that, it, you know, it, it'll happen unless you do something about it. Right. Yeah, and I think I think the other part of it about, about it that maybe you didn't, uh, touch on is is like you know this is all happening like at the, the beginning and like all the way through the reagan era and you know the austerity measures and like the explosion of free market capitalism and like you know profit first and everything and i i know i know that like um you know i can't say for the other band members but i know that like you know ian came from a you know a politically engaged family he's like living in dc and so you know, you kind of couple all these things together, and I think you have a, a four members of a band that, you know, are really looking to create something that is more aligned with, like, their ethics and, like, their morals and their beliefs, and they're not seeing it out there, so they're kind of just going to create it themselves. And going back to your point about, you know, sort of regulating the scene in a sense, I think there's, there's, a, famous, there's a famous story about Guy being on stage and there being these, like, uh, like skinhead punk kids or something who like kind of start like you know violently like moshing like during the during the uh during the show and he kind of like calls them out and to stop and apparently like before the show he had seen these kids like eating ice cream uh before the show and so he starts making fun of them about eating ice cream and how they're just kind of like you know like the rest of us just kids who want to eat ice cream and not necessarily really as tough as they they want to be and this is kind of like a, some of the greatest stage banter of all time he's like i saw you eating ice cream motherfucker yeah yeah you we'll, just we'll, like ice here, cream. let's play a clip we'll play a clip we'll play a clip of it for sure i saw you two guys earlier at the good humor truck and you were eating your ice cream like little boys and i thought those guys aren't so tough they're eating ice cream what a bunch of swell guys i saw you eating ice cream pal 
Oh, don't you deny it. You were eating an ice cream cone. You were eating an ice cream cone. Oh, you're bad now. You're bad now, but you're eating an ice cream cone. And I saw you. That's the shit you can't hide, you know? You got your fucking shit, but you eat ice cream. Everybody knows it. The whole fucking place knows it. Ice cream eating motherfucker. That's what you are. And so, like, I think that's just kind of an example, like a really great example of, like, the way in which, you know, they're not regulating their scene necessarily like, super militantly, although I guess, like, some could argue maybe slightly, but, like, doing it in this way where, like, you know, it's more inclusive and, like, people don't feel uh, unsafe or, you know, ostracized or, like, you know, things like that, you know. So you kind of, so you, when, you, when by the time Fugazi forms, I feel like you really have, you know, them reacting to a lot of things that they maybe were at odds with and kind of wanted to create something that was more aligned with like their vision of, of, you know, not only just the way they want a scene to work, but kind of maybe sort of maybe how they want the world to be, you know, maybe that's a bold statement, but that's kind of where all these, like F these ideas about like $5 shows, $10 merch, you know, no, uh, no merch, sorry, $10, $10 records, no merch really kind of come out of. Well, I, mean, I actually want to push back against that, that last statement a little bit. And I think that gets to like uh, the other, another element of this is, which is that like, I we read a, both of us have read a lot of interviews um, with the various band members, and the kind of interviews were like they have answers and they'll give the same. It's funny to read like over a twenty year period, like Ian give almost word for word the same answer, the same, same fucking answer, answer yeah. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he'll 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 say this, you know, this thing that like repeated a million times. They're like, "Well, did you want everyone to do this thing?" And he's like, "Nah, nah, that was just us. That was just how we operated." And I do think that there's this like tend your own garden approach to a political economy of music and i think that's very important like there are bands and there are movements that are trying to change the industry or change the overall structure of music and it seemed like they were very intentional about we want to make our own thing that way we can make it again like how kind of how we want and try to make it how we want and then we don't need to deal with the rest of the world because we're focused on dc we're focused on the bands that we're friends with we're focused on totally. this the fan base that we've created through this is the other thing absolutely incessant touring these guys are global road dogs and they play a tremendous number of shows and they famously also like don't use set lists so the shows are all different there's about 900 shows on the um like the fugazi live archive that ian has put up um like we're talking like yeah they recorded talking, everything yeah, they recorded, they recorded everything. everything so we're talking like not to tip our hats for future episodes like we're talking grateful dead levels of live playing just to stick with the 10 year own garden point for a second I, I think that's a great point and like ian you know is quoted as saying punk is the free space it's an area in which new ideas can be presented without having to go through the filtration or perversion of profiteering and i think that, that there's one thing that's kind of come up in like all the interviews that we've read and listened to with Ian and the other band members and like, you know, everything we've been through is that there doesn't seem to really be this like effort to like alter or change things on a global level. And it very much is that like 10 year own garden sort of approach, because another thing you'll see is that you'll see a few bands jump from discord onto bigger labels during the nineties. And when asked about it, Ian is, you know, very diplomatic about it. He's like, well, we don't judge them. You know, that's fine. If they want to do that, that's their, that's their deal. That's not what we want to do, but that's their deal. And they're totally allowed to do that. No problem. But then we'll follow it up by being like, but you know, then we had to stop playing with them because it would be against, I guess, their, their ethos of playing and supporting their garden and their independent scene. And that would be outside of it, I suppose. Yeah. And I, I do think also that there's this sense of like, like pragmatism runs really deeply through this band and this approach to the music industry where like, if you start promulgating rules out there that those rules won't fit other situations necessarily. And so at one level, I do think that as a model and so we can start like maybe taking a step back and thinking about, uh, since we've laid the kind of the groundwork for what made them really special like it, as a model at one level it's super powerful because it was super effective at another level like as a model they're very explicit about the fact that this is how they do things and that it's a not a model like you can't take these rules and apply them across the board because 
everyone has a different system and a different career. And maybe unspoken of which is that Ian was a underground superstar basically from day one. I mean, he's incredibly charismatic and was able to do things with his bands and his scene that other bands and scenes maybe weren't able to do. Like, I would t- be on Discord, you know, put me in a time machine. I'd be on Discord over, like, early SST where, like, who knows what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that? What's that uh, That documentary, like, the, the not the end of civilization. Decline of civilization. The, of Western yeah, civilization. that documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization, where the band's basically, like, living in, like, cubby holes in, like, I don't, maybe their practice space or maybe a warehouse. It's, it's kind of unclear. But, yeah, I, I'll just, I'll just finish. Before we dive into, like, sort of, some of the ways in which Fugazi operated as a band and then kind of looking whether or not, you know, it has resonance today and like, you know, how it could be applied and what we could learn from. I'll just stick with one point that it, it, I thought it was really interesting to me that when doing the research for this show, you know, I feel like Fugazi and Ian in particular is really put on this like sort of punk pedestal that was like this like, you know, you know, I don't know, profit of like, you know, never selling out and this like great you know uh individual and i'm not saying he isn't but it is interesting to just see when you listen to him and you you read about this just actually just how much of this kind of came out of practicality and i feel like it might you know and how like maybe like what the legacy of fugazi and the legacy of ian have like in a weird way been taken to a place that maybe is like sort of like beyond him and actually like what he really when you actually listen to what he has to say and the way that he ran Fugazi and they ran, you know, and Fugazi was run as a, as a four person band really does sometimes almost, I want to say at odds, but isn't quite where like people like kind of want to describe it or take it. You know, it's really just this fair, practical sort of sensible approach, I think in a lot of ways. And it's, I don't know, I think it's maybe moving forward, just keeping that in mind, just how like difficult it is to do something that's like fair, practical and like doesn't uh, use profiteering as it's like being motive i mean i I also think that in addition to being like we said fair and practical and intensely pragmatic and let's be real not be drinking and never being hung over helps you like run a small struggling business (laughs) (laughs) um but facts (laughs) also i think that it's tied to in a really interesting way, that like pragmatic practicality is tied to a vision of what music is and what music does and what music should be doing that's actually like really at odds with much of the history of the record of music in the United States in the 20th century, certainly. Certainly at odds with, in a lot of interesting yeah. ways, with the kind of um, record industry or commodity first types of histories that we've been exploring on this show. Yeah. It actually aligns in a lot of really interesting ways with how music and the music industry were going to change in coming decades. And that I think that one of the things that Fugazi, that's set Fugazi apart is an approach to music that actually is fairly widespread in 2021, but was quietly revolutionary in 1990. And just like thinking about the, the, like, the, how and why that approach developed and how it could connect today, I think is really interesting. So, so, what by this approach I mean there's this great line that that I think made you know this interview uh that we read that, that I think like pulled a lot of this together which is about why they liked five dollar shows right and they say I'm paraphrasing here like the reason they liked five dollar shows is because they felt like that was the five dollars was like the turnkey like the bare minimum turnkey fee to like get in the room and that then after that, Anything that happened in the room, whether good or bad, was sort of in this like non-commodified space that the $5 was enough to get everyone there. It was enough to pay to like have like a stake in it to a certain extent almost, but that they didn't want to feel like they had to go there and put on a show. Like if they had a bad night and like the improvisations went really poorly or like the drummer had the flu and couldn't do the sh- truly extraordinary things that he did on a daily basis. Brendan like, they didn't, they didn't, Yeah. Oh, home. Like short of like the drummer for the Minutemen, like one of the best drummers in like eighties, nineties, American rock music. Holy shit. A- anyway. Um, right. Like that they felt like, and that's a really interesting approach to music, right? That, yeah. You have to pay money to get into this space. But after 
that like the space is about the community um, that the and the music is part of the community and the music is created together with the community and that and that community first approach to music is actually like in a weird way like the core of how the modern music industry works right that the actual music itself is not particularly valuable it's getting people together and then having them share interests and then the kinds of uh sales that you can kind of generate from those groups of people interacting together in like an attention economy and well so like so 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 like maybe explain that real quick what do you mean by that you mean just like by like merch and like you know buying beers at the bar kind of thing or? yeah merch buying beers at the bar having the associations with beer if you think about like uh you know liquor sponsorships of major concerts of right. the data that's produced by the fact that they know that you're at this concert um to like the the style of clothing that like maybe the band is wearing and the people might yeah like yeah the, okay. the, the long history of like selling th- using music to sell other things but that right. has become absolutely central in a world in which streaming has more or less decommodified individual pieces of music so you're saying that like that's that that was actually that sort of approach is like really similar to the approach that fugazi took yeah. Except like they had nothing else to sell because other than just like actually putting on a good show. Yeah, because they what what they wanted, what they what they wanted was a decommodified space for music right. and for the community around music. There's another great line where he says um music is a currency, right? It's just used to like pass between people to get them to interact, which is a a wild way of thinking about currency and b an even wilder way of thinking yeah. about music. <laughs> Um, but I think it's actually accurate, right? In this sense, he's like, we wanted to build this scene. The music was a way to do it. Low prices made that easier to do. It let us police the scene because we didn't owe anyone anything. There's this amazing story right. of them. He would have a, a, an envelope. They would have an envelope of $5 bills at the front of the stage. And when anyone Love was this. being an asshole, they would just give them their refund and tell them to get out. Like, we don't owe you anything. Here's right. your $5 back, dude. <laughs> Right, something which something which like even if you were putting on like a twenty dollars show today, but like it was like through Ticketmaster or something, like you know they're taking a cut and this whole like you know bureaucracy of like where the money money streams go, like you couldn't do. No, you're 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 totally right, and they actually, the way they toured was on percentages, so they wouldn't take an upfront. They assumed the risk for the show, and it allowed them the freedom to do stuff like that. Yeah. And they did that on purpose so they could have the freedom to do stuff like that again, which would be very difficult, if not impossible now with Ticketmaster. Because like, how do you, it's, it's like, wh- where does the service fee go? Yeah. Where's this? Yeah. And like whatever their cut is or whatever. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which is like kind of interesting. Cause like they really were, I think in a way just approaching problems like as they came and like trying to figure this stuff out, like on their own, like, how do we put on a show? Like, this is the way we want it. We you know, like just thinking these things through is actually like, pretty if you think about it like step back it's actually pretty complicated to think about okay like and and just thinking about how they were able to find venues in all these towns pre-internet also and like willing to like play situations in which were like maybe like not really a venue and kind of you know maybe they played a lot of vfw halls yeah yeah right exactly and just like you know working that all it's just it's, it's really it's really it's really uh kind of a story on its own to to be honest but i mean just kind of sticking with what we're talking about with this kind of decommodified music you know there was another question that you know you um you know you presented in us preparing for this show and just like this idea of like decommodifying music to make it more about community and like how does that connect with like the attention economy and influencer economy that you just you just mentioned and like i don't know maybe i'm like going off like the wrong path here but i'm curious what you think because i I think it's a little strange because you know i think as tiktok and other social media platforms have shown us you know there is also like a scene and a niche for like anti-capitalist or like at least those who espouse ideas or ideologies that generally are like people community seen over the pursuit of profit like centered on these platforms like say like tiktok or whatever and like these people make a living on these platforms because of the very niche and ideas they promote, right? So, like for example, like let's just like take contrapoints on YouTube. They have asserted that they're you know they're democratic socialists, which you know, I guess doesn't doesn't put the pursuit of profit at the forefront of its ideology, right? And yet, I'm sure 
ContraPoints makes a living from this like platform on YouTube, right? And there's sort of a kind of a strange irony there that I feel like really like re extends all the way to Fugazi. And I think it's important to know that, you know, Fugazi in doing this stuff, because it's like more like a band working within the systematic structures of capitalism and doing it in a way that I guess is like more ethical and like, you know, considers things like access and affordability and a good show over like the making of money. I mean, one thing I really like, there's this idea of a just economy, which is an old, I mean, I don't know if it's if, to what extent, uh, I mean, please do at me early modern English historians. I don't know if it turns out it's actually real or not. It's the kind of thing where it's like, I've read about this in books written in the 70s, and I assume the, 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 the research has, has um, continued. So maybe it's just not true. Sometimes things written in books in the 70s are, are not true. But yeah, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. this idea that like, in early modern England, uh, they would have like bread riots or various kind of riots where let's say like times were really tough and the there was a bad wheat harvest and the bakers didn't have an, uh, the normal amount of wheat. So they would raise wheat prices or bread prices. Um, basically what happened is like people in the town would like get together, often dress up like women, um, break into the, the baker shop, and then they wouldn't just take all the stuff they would sell it for what they considered a just price which is like the normal price with enough maybe a little bit lower with enough so that like it covers cost it covers supplies it covers enough for the baker to right. like continue to live yeah. but like with no profit right and they would just stand there selling out the bread <laughs> like having bro violently broken in to the into the shop and so this idea of like that there's a there's a way like there's a way that you could have a just economy where things are fair, where things are supposed priced according to like what they should be priced so that everyone can keep doing what they want to be doing, which is in the case of Fugazi, like living and playing a lot of shows and making music and releasing records from their friends. Yeah. And I think just to sort of like build on that, I think also there's like, there's another element, like this very approach in a way is also part of the reason why they're able to make a living as a band and a label. And what I mean by that is like the band's emphasis on accessibility and having like, I guess, let's just loosely term it, like some sort of moral compass are such key elements to their popularity because like being a fan of Fugazi essentially becomes something more than just being a fan. It comes with this like pre-existing set of like politics and DIY punk ethics that you are like aligning yourself with by being a fan. And like what I find fascinating, I think, is that it's all sort of like loosely couched in a sort of what you see today, this like market of like conscious consumerism or this like roped off space that is like generally tolerated in a capitalist framework where you can like criticize it. But because you're in that system and have to participate in it as well, but as an individual, it can be projected like you are setting yourself apart in some way because like your consumerism has values or is just as you were saying. And doing so, what kind of what ends up happening is that you find like-minded people as yourself who essentially relate on the one level as consumers, right? Consciously consuming ethically. And like you could prove that by being a fan of Fugazi and maybe the ways you've taken the way that they run their band and kind of maybe like applied it to their your own life in some way. Yeah, and I just think it's like really fascinating, you know, because it's like it's... I think they can sometimes be viewed as the, as these like, you know, radicals. And in some ways, like what they did is like so commendable and amazing, but it's also very much like working within a system and trying to do it. And as you said, in this sort of like just, and like, as we keep repeating, like sort of fair way. Yeah. No. And I think, I think it's interesting because it, it becoming a Fugazi fan is about aligning yourself with these broader ideational ideological systems in a way that's like positioning yourself yeah, and precisely right. the way they're pushing back against by like not selling merch. So, you can't have the official Fugazi t-shirt to show that you are a ethical consumer of music. The flip right. side though, is I, I, I wonder, and I mean, I think that, I think that thinking about these kinds of working within a system, but also creating spaces that, you know, I almost think about like, like string theory, these tiny little universes like wrapped up against bigger universes, which is, um, I guess how string theory has been described to me, but like this idea that like at a show, at a good night where everyone paid $5 and basically everyone's there to not drink to, but to like watch this band and have a communal experience. There's this funny question and like not to get like too, too heady, but like, does that really good night 
that kind of communal interaction of like people and sound at like a very basic human level like can that exist outside of these oppressive structures even in that limited period of time in which it exists and like i don't know i might say yes what do you mean what do you mean by exist outside of those structures like it's like you're asking yourself like whether or not it's like like it's, you know it's like uh inextricable from those structures or like like can it can a really good night of live music like do something human such that i'm not saying like history is abolished but that like it breaks through into a different kind of sphere where like yeah we we like paid the doorman and we paid like the venue and we paid the lights so that we can all be here and like you all ate some food outside but like what is in this space for tonight is something different or apart or like is there anything that can, maybe is the, the, the depressing question is like is there anything that can't be recaptured is there a surplus is there a human surplus value that exists in those spaces because if there is then like what fugazi's doing in their quiet tending the garden like is it is quietly revolutionary If I can understand what you're saying correctly, it's like almost kind of an example they set, as you said, quietly tending their garden. There's no reason in your thinking why that couldn't be somehow applied on a larger scale. Say like, I don't know, in like a post-capitalist acid communism, Mark Fisher style, like envision of the world, right? I mean, mean, we laugh, it's funny, but you know- I'm not sure I was saying that, but sure. I mean, like go for it, run with it. Or like you, were you saying that it could be applied like like you know, in other ways? Is that like you know outside of like the 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 v, the VFW hall that like you know they're playing for an hour? Well, and a half? I'm saying like, can you have a, a something different that happens in a VFW hall for an hour and a half that's fundamentally different? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's where my brain goes. Then at least I'll just like you know that I feel like it just shows that this could work in other ways as well. Like if it can work in the VFW hall, like maybe it can work in like other ways as well, you know, but that, that obviously opens up a whole like other can of worms. <laughs> but but to, 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 to kind of move to the present and to yeah. kind of smush sure. the can of worms. I don't know. Okay. Put it <laughs> yeah. back in the fridge. Um, yeah, put it back in the fridge, get those night crawlers. Apparently yeah. worms are an invasive species, which blew uh, my mind when uh, I found that's that. That's wild. Okay. Right. Wild. Man, somebody, uh, if we had, a, I hope someday we have a fan who decides to go through all those shows and just put together like all the random footnotes that you just drop like throughout each episode because it would be encyclopedic. Um, I wish I say lovingly, it's part of the reason why we do this show and why we're friends. But yeah, like moving to the present, like. Uh, <laughs> Reining you back the fuck in. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would never want to do that too but- much. <laughs> So, so what I was saying was, like, bringing it back to the present. So we, we've been talking a lot, right, in recent episodes about the fact that, like, the systems of music as they're currently constituted are really not working for many musicians, especially how, given the nature of, I would say, like, the systemic changes that come out of streaming, that the kind of, like, localized parity that could exist between an indie label and a major label in the 80s or 90s, by which I mean, like, no, on the grand scale of a market, they're not at all equal. But like in a record store, their their things can be sold for the same amount of money. And that now, fundamentally, that's not true because like major labels have a different access to the streaming market and are getting profit from a different set of sources, like not just the payouts from streaming, but like the kinds of marketing activities, the kinds of right. sync, all the different kinds of ways that music is currently commoditized. And so think we've been talking a lot about like how the mu- music is 
currently constituted isn't working for people, like I said. Yeah. And so the question is, like, how, what does this Fugazi model, this tend-your-own-garden, ethical, performance, community-building model have to tell us about what could happen in the present day? I think we have different takes on well, this. You know where I stand. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna start okay. by like I'm gonna start by just thinking back to that VFW hall, yeah. and thinking about the difference between that VFW hall in 1992 and that VFW hall, you know, hopefully in 2022 when I guess I'm saying the VFW halls of America reopen, and like. I think if you could just imagine the scene, right? The biggest difference is everyone's on their smartphones in 2022. And the extent to which human interaction has been colonized by large scale information companies, <laughs> um, many of which are tied to, you know, media companies, record labels, the extent to which like everything is functioning through these platforms does make me wonder if like the kind of escape that you could maybe have that I was like positing could potentially have happened in 1992. Like, is that still possible today? Given the fact that like, maybe like, no, because you couldn't buy merch. Sure. Like saying you were a Fugazi fan allowed you to like, like posit yourself and gain cultural capital with other people. But like, it was a little, a little limited by it's like awkward integration with like the broader, ways consumption happened but like now like you instagram yourself you t you know you you take a selfie at the fugazi show and it's next to like all the other selfies and that integration is much less awkward and it's much more seamless and i'm wondering if that like almost like that temporary autonomous zone functions in the same way given that like colonization of everyday social interaction well can you expand on that a little bit more because I, what i'm reading is that like it's not special because you took a selfie and put it on instagram and like to me like that definitely changes the way in which maybe we engage with like what's happening like at that like indie show but i don't think it changes fundamentally the sort of specialness of the show itself and like what's happening there yeah, no, no, so, 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 no, that that's really useful. So I'm very much not being like, there are smartphones at the <laughs> well, show. Well, no, you could be like that, but you know, no yeah, yeah. Because the kids right. are on the smartphone. No, I don't get, no, I'm A, like, I don't, like, I guess I remember before cell phones at shows, but like not particularly. Right. But also, no, I, I think that's a different point of interaction. I guess what I'm saying is that, like, there was an ability, I would say, to maybe not hold your, or certainly not hold yourself apart from, like, all of like capitalism that's insane like they, it's not like the 1990s were like not like this like halcyon like agrarian no, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. right no but, you're just you're talking about pre-internet yeah, yeah pre-internet pre pre-internet pre 2.0 but there was a way that yeah. i would say that like maybe fugazi and fugazi's touring was able to operate apart from the rest of the music industry gotcha. yes yeah i see and i'm wondering if given the ways in which there's now like the whole world is at that show and like the whole, the whole world is at that show. And also like that show is being used in everyone's individual social worlds. Like whether it's possible to have the same kind of apartness that I think Fugazi was like trying to encourage. Well, why wouldn't it be able to, why wouldn't you be able to like, what has changed that would cause it to like not happen? Because the way I'm reading this is that are you suggesting that it would just be gobbled up by the sort of like systematic structures in which we exist in and like kind of like immediately ruined because like you know red bull would come in and be like hey hey we'll, we'll drop you twenty thousand dollars to like go on this like tour as long as you just like sell red bulls in the corner like it would just be unable to stay autonomous because i because other because i because i think that like just because like everybody's involved in it like i think that that kind of goes back to maybe the more halcyon ideologies of like early internet where it was like, oh, you could actually like bring these ideologies more fluidly and easily like to people that were not necessarily exposed to them, you know? And obviously like that's been co-opted by, you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, stupid social media platforms to like service advertisements and to create AI. But like, I think that some of the original ideas of, you know, the internet really was to be able to 
reach people with what you got art ideology politics you know that you couldn't necessarily be in contact with and i don't think there's anything that's inherent in our current systems other than people's own sort of <laughs> i don't know political ethical moral spine that would like prevent them from maintaining that sort of that sort of scene you know other than like maybe like cost of living where it's like I'm, you know it's just exorbitantly higher now and so maybe it's not realistic to not sell merch only sell records and then like only have 20 dollars shows in which you split a 50 50 profit with like the venue or something like that maybe that's just not viable anymore because like and maybe that's not necessarily like a the fault of like music industry itself but really just sort of like the current contemporary economic situation and how you know the divide between rich and poor is just like grown so much more now you know but i don't really see anything i don't i, don't, I guess i guess i'm trying to drive out like you know what is it sam that you think that would that prevents that that prevents having that yeah no 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 it's it's a really good point it's a really good point i mean and and i guess i, I would say like does the fact that it's gonna go on instagram live next to bruno mars change what that show means and i would argue to a certain extent yes but maybe not right okay well no, thinking so, about the yeah, experience yes. of the community in that space in that moment like maybe no maybe that's a really good point yeah no i mean yeah exactly and it kind of goes well, it goes back to what i was saying earlier about how like you have these platforms and you actually have like these platforms which are like niche in a way that like kind of promote a like you know anti-profiteering anti-sort of capitalist ideology you know like i was talking about like contrapoints or like you have these sort of small like niche followers or these sort of like smaller niche communities on tiktok that are like you know whatever leftist diy in nature right but in the irony of it is that like you know here's a private platform in which like you are espousing these ideas and the platform is like making a profit off of that in some way and then like possibly you as like an influencer who's espousing these ideas over commodity i mean sorry you know espousing these ideas of like community over profit are also making a profit of it so it just kind of comes its own sort of market and kind of goes back to this idea that like there's like there's just like cordon there's like roped off space that sort of capitalism allows you to like you know use your sign and espouse these ideas because essentially you're still working within the system and it's not like any kind of like threat to it in any sense. Yeah. And, 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 but I think that could, I think that, that could, you know, I think that could be used in, I think that could be 1.0, right? Like Fugazi in the nineties. I mean, I, I do 100% wonder yeah. in that example, at least also about like thinking about the kind of scene politics that Fugazi espoused and tried to build through word of mouth. And this also goes back to this kind of like, the like my my question about like the colonization of space which is also that you know in addition to whatever level of of financial transactions you have with these platforms there's also like you to be seen if the primary spaces that people are interacting with culture now are algorithmically sorted platforms that push people towards certain kinds of content if only based on like who floats to the top or who drops uh like my friend ben says like a rock to the bottom of the internet like who like right like that's also a sorting element and that i do think that that and and maybe this goes to, to your point that that i, I want to get to about do people need to be on these certain kinds of platforms and do artists and creators need to be in these certain kind of platforms or these various kind of platforms but like i do think that whether it's a question of like some sort of like uh, innate trajectory or whether it's just sort of like what everyone's accepted as, as a cultural norm, like the extent to which I would really struggle to see a social cultural movie, movement like blowing up outside of these algorithmically sorted forms of social media yeah. um, does mean that there's an additional level of like very intimate shaping that's going on in all these spaces that like it's not like there wasn't like a, a vast media system in 1992 but it wasn't there in discord house in the same way that like it is yeah and i think i think you know what you what you've been referencing about how you know my the, an idea i've had it really relates back to um you know, my proposition that we've discussed and I'll reveal here that, you know, if you're a band who, or an artist who's complaining about, you know, the lack of profits, rightfully so, that you're earning from Spotify, then like, why not just get off Spotify? And I think that like the people, 
that I see who are most complaining about it. And like I said, I, which I fully support, like they have every right to complain. But my question is always like, why still be on it? And I think that like, it does like, you know, really go back to maybe these ideas of exposure and accessibility. But I think that if, you know, if we could take something from Fugazi and how it was run, I think that like, I'm a firm believer that you could still be a mildly successful indie band or artist and if not make a living at least like make better profits than you're making off spotify without having to be on spotify and i mean i, I don't know maybe this is slightly controversial and i could get piled on for saying this but you know um if you look at Fugazi in the 90s or countless, countless other scenes and so-called like independent college or radio bands in the 80s and see how they had a loosely knit insular economy that maybe, you know, didn't make lead to all of them making a full blown living. But for many, it, it probably did as well. I don't know. I'd have to like, you know, talk to uh, R.E.M. and, you know, Michael Hazard <laughs> and, uh, you know, but like certainly the percentage of money they were being made in the very least was better than Spotify payouts. Right. So the question is like, what's stopping it from happening? Like, what's the fear? And I feel to me that in some ways it's maybe a lack of imagination. Maybe it's the increased atomization of people and by proxy artists. Maybe it's like a weakening of local scenes. You know, maybe it's the cost of living. But, you know, I, I heard an interview from Ian McKay um, in the prep for the show where he would talk about like going to Vancouver to get a handwritten address book from the band DOA. And the address book was like all the different small venues and punk houses across the US. And I think that maybe like Black Flag used it as well or something. And I mean, I'm vague on the details, but like the point is, is that, you know, that's how you book tours back then. And I'm just not convinced you couldn't get off Spotify, use even other platforms of technologies to make those connections and like get your shit out there and get a pitchfork review and get a fairer cut of what you're owed. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really interesting argument, right? And I don't think that like using that kind of Fugazi model and being like, it's like, I, I think what you just said, right? Is that one thing that could stop a band from doing that now is this lack of a organic musical scene that seems really necessary to, and there are, yeah. I mean, there are scenes. Don't get me, don't get me fucking wrong. Right. But well, yeah. this idea of a gradually delicately built economy over the course of the 80s that at 1980 no one was making any money from underground sure, sure. music by 1990 big you know you read uh our you know interviews like steve albini of big black which is by no means like everyone's cup of tea they're making money enough money to buy houses right. because they're able to get a bigger cut of a smaller mm -hmm. pie they have fewer lawyer fees. They have a better record contract. They're working with people that support each right. other. They're able to pull other bands up with them. And I, I think that that one of the things that that's really useful, I think, about what you're saying, and maybe like throws down a, like the why Fugazi can like kind of throw down a gauntlet, is that this is, you know, there's there's a real impulse I think in a lot of discussion of the music industry right. to look at technology as teleology that. The tech determines what's going to right. happen. And what I think and we fall into that. All of us know, just fall right into it. Bands, we, artists, well, individuals. Oh, no, absolutely. And like one thing you could say is like, actually, no. Like what you're saying right. is like, look at these early examples. They also didn't have, it didn't just happen. It wasn't an accident. Sure. Fugazi is able to be successful because Ian is a stalwart of this DC scene for a decade. And that there's, you know, he gradually, painstakingly built up both a reputation and a lot of interest and a lot of fans across the country. And that that's what allowed, and then pull other people up with him, right? right? Like playing with all these smaller bands, only playing with bands that aren't on major labels, like allows that economy to grow. And if you think about like an economy as money circling around itself, that's that's what you need to have happen right all the bands need to play at all little venues and they all sure, need sure. to buy each other's records and like it turns out that's enough to kind of maybe not ever have everyone have a living in this moment but right. but like certainly maybe do better than 
the pittance that you get from Spotify. Yeah, that and that's my main point. It's like it's like listen, like how much what are you going what do you actually I mean, that's actually not my main point, but that is like one of my points which is like how much are you going to lose by getting off Spotify? Like literally how much are you going to lose? And maybe it's like uh you can't quantify it because of like the whole exposure thing, but I mean as we've seen like the whole there's like this pay for play shit that Spotify is doing and all that. So I mean like for me it's just like get the fuck off of it and like use get the fuck off of it and maybe use the technology that is at our hands which ian and like fugazi and discord and all them didn't have like i said in my example going to vancouver to get the black book full of like punk houses (laughs) you know (laughs) half of which i think ian said were like you know no longer around but like instead of doing that like you have the internet you can do it and i think i think it's already been i think i think that if you look at smaller scenes like whether it be like literary or like art or like whatever i think it does happen no matter if these platforms and their desire to like earn profits and like service ads and like you know clock our habits so they can like filter it into ai regardless of all that like the internet's still there and you can still make a connection with someone who you maybe have never and never will meet you know and exchange ideas or art or whatever no no no. but but i do i do think just just back to this like cultural point kind of building up what you were saying is i i I think that thinking about like what people can get off of spotify is I think that there was also thinking about like there's this guy uh, like uh, Lewis Mumford who's like a early 20th century like theoretician of urban spaces and culture and he thinks about tech- a variety of different kinds of cultures of sorry a variety of different kinds of technologies I mean that there's like physical technologies and there are cultural technologies and I do think that like you could describe Fugazi's DIY aesthetic and DIY ethos as a cultural technology and one that needs to be shared fairly widely in order to be effective. And so one of the reasons I think people are on platforms like Spotify, one of the reasons that like, you know, bands who are really trying to make careers of of their music or make a living off of their music, or at least make enough money to continue making art is this idea that like the system has won that maybe if you get some publicity, you could get picked up for a sync for an advertisement that's where the real money is that you could maybe get signed to a maybe not a major label but you could give on one of those playlists it's the it's the dangled carrot right thing. so, the whole so dangled there carrot. is a thing where like a cultural technology of like the the ian like uh no amount of money he has this great line like no amount of money is worth losing control of our music and just being like that like big black fugazi like no like fuck fuck this we're entirely underground and that's how we want to do things like right you do need to create a body of people that that has critical mass among but once you do that actually then becomes self-reinforcing the same right yeah no no and that's a great point like i like i that i didn't i didn't add like i do i do acknowledge that like this would have to be something that would be done like you know in mass to a certain extent whether it be like your local scene or like even greater than that like you know you as an individual being like, fuck Spotify, I'm going to like go out on my own, might not do as much as unless you get like, you know, your entire label to do it or something. So, so one question I want to ask you, though, Saxon, about this, um, this idea, and, and it's something I've been puzzling out Uh-oh. too, is, uh-huh. is, uh, <laughs> is I do think, though, that there is a, a substantive change between we've kind of gestured it already between like 1992 and 2021, which is that, you know, this does the changed commodity status of music, right? Does the, the change, does the fact that music used to be a physical item that you'd purchase and that at some level, whether or not, if you purchased a Fugazi album for 10 bucks, if you purchased a Guns N' Roses album for 12 bucks, like at some level, the amount of profit and the way those commodities functioned were relatively similar versus now where the way that, like I said before, like the way that major label records and the major labels function in this digital space means that there's a a greater inequality in the way that the commodities function between smaller labels and smaller players and the major players and just the fact that this push for you know um music everywhere all the time as like the main strand of like how music as a commodity is currently functioning in our society and whether like yeah they weren't pushing against the tide in 1992 
I mean, they were pushing against a current, but not maybe against like the commodity tide in the way that pulling off Spotify might be today. Like any act of, I think this is why I'm, I'm one of the reasons why I'm like, I'm fundamentally um, skeptical of some of the NFT things because it seems to be like pushing against changed commodity forms in a way that often ends up like, like a little slice of gentrification and the rest of it goes the other way. Yeah, no, that's a huge issue. And I think that's a great point you're bringing up. And like I said, like I'm not against even using other platforms to like maintain your music and like, but you know, if we continue with this analogy of the differences between 1992 and uh, 2021 in 1992, you not having your music in Sam Goody is okay because there's a indie record stores where like you do keep your music but nowadays i guess the question kind of what you're saying is like okay there's like the you know apple music and and spotify and all the streaming services but like what's the indie store and it's like you know the answer people Bandcamp, and there really isn't anything else right and like and that's kind of a problem that's kind of a problem you know i mean you could like and i think that that's kind of some of the stuff that maybe people like um like Matt Dryhurst and some of the people like looking towards like web three are like trying to uh, solve, which, you know, is, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing question and definitely like an issue, but like, once again, it's kind of maybe, a, you know, but once again, I think it's probably like a continuously debatable question because like I can, you know, easily just counter with like, okay, but what are you earning? What are you gaining other than accessibility? You know, it's really just kind of it. You well, know? no, no, I guess I'm not thinking about, like, what are you gaining for... And and, and by no means do I have an answer to these questions, yeah, right? We don't, we, yeah, like, we really don't. Yeah, yeah. we are in full-on... For me, I'm just for it because I'm like, I don't know, try it, see what happens. Like, if you got, like, you know, like, a thousand, like, you know, a thousand, like, indie artists to just be like, we're going to collectively just get off Spotify. Spotify probably wouldn't care, but maybe something cool will come out of it, you know? No, 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 totally. And, and, and I guess I guess I'm just thinking about, like, I understand, like, what are you gaining for that argument for a label or a band but i just wonder like what happens to the music if you're pushing back against like the primary way that music is being music is being consumed now i'm not to be clear i'm not pushing against that and i think that to finish my analogy like the the sam goody indie store like idea is that like there aren't any more indie stores anymore because everybody streams and like no you know an indie store can't like an independent like record store like can't even afford rent or whatever you know but like i'm not against so like i'm not i'm not against streaming and i'm not against like you know uh on demand streaming and i'm not against like having an app where you can just like immediately click in and stream whatever you want but like i guess the question if to go completely full circle on this discussion is can we create a platform or can we create a way in which you can access streaming music that's more fair and just you know and like that's a whole other question that needs to be dealt with but i'm not against the actual commodity itself i mean i am in the sense that you know it's destroying the earth but so so did cds and records so anyways but anyways <laughs> that's neither here nor there <laughs> i mean i think uh but i will i will just finish finish i will wrap up this 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 show on fugazi by just noting like something that regarding to like the economic uh background of the band like fugazi which i think is you know relates to what we're talking about and is no way a critique of them but you know it's important to note that you know these guys essentially came from middle-class homes and like you know something that you've always said to me sam is that you can't have a garage band unless you have a garage and that implies owning a house and having space and having the ability to like buy instruments you know and the expendable income to buy instruments and you know as i as i noted just earlier like you know the growing economic divide in this country and elsewhere and the increased cost of living and housing like does make what fugazi discord minor threat and like a bunch of other bands that like we're not mentioning a bunch of other scenes that will like go unnamed and are unknown necessarily like more difficult because essentially today you might be starting from a much more impoverished place where the families and homes that like the fugazi dudes came from like are generally poorer now <laughs> <laughs> you know and i think that's another thing that like is important to like just keep in mind when like looking at this that you know this was 30 40 years ago and you know the economic situation was a lot different and so you know yeah and and just to kind of just think about you know 
cycle way, way back to the reason we first started talking about Fugazi, which is the politics of the band and the politics of the way they run their, their, their life, that there is something about like, like the tending your own garden approach that other political bands that see um, often um, with, you know, black musicians that see more yeah. deeply rooted structural inequities totally and not that fugazi didn't do more than their fair share of uh benefit shows and protesting it was very explicit about their politics but that there is you know the sense that like we can tend our own garden and that might be enough versus the idea that like this system is fundamentally problematic and like unfair just tending our own guard and unfair and and actively trying to kill our loved ones and that tending our own garden isn't enough. Um, yeah, and I think we bring this up just that it's just not as a critique of Fugazi, but just really kind of like and when we discuss these ideas and these sort of like visions of alternatives, just really understanding the limitations that you and others might have and like what you're up against that that some of the roadblocks or hurdles that Fugazi had to overcome, like, you know, may, or didn't have to overcome, like you may have to overcome. You know, like this band could be your life, but you might still be totally unknown and not make a dime. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. no, and and figuring out people's subject positions is never a bad thing. It's not a knock right, on them to totally. be like figure out where people come from and how that shaped yeah, their world. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, I think that concludes like this episode. Um, we will be like dropping a lot more uh, Fugazi content uh, related to this uh, show as bonus episodes. Like I said, I have an interview with the great poet Morgan Parker about a little tweet that she sent out leading up to the uh, 2020 election about how she was uh, ruining how in these times we don't have Fugazi and how she wishes they were around, which I found interesting. Um, we also have an interview that I did with uh, documentarian Jem Cohen, who... Um, it was also like a long time uh, friend of Ian McKay and the rest of the band. And as always, you can sign up for our newsletter at moneyfornothing.substack.com. That's the number four music by bird language. Please rate and review us on iTunes so we can get the good word of music for nothing out. And yes, Sam, if you have any, you know, critiques, comments, better understandings of early modern English political economy, favorite Fugazi <laughs> tracks, other bands that we should follow, a running a running list of uh, footnotes that Sam has uh, has has said uh, along along the way in, in our in our shows. Money for nothing podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us, us a email. line. We'll yeah. try to do our best to get back to you in a timely manner. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back with some bonus content. Until next time. Thank you. Yeah.